Goodbye. I hope you've enjoyed Downgrade, this episode of Upgrade in Reverse. You can find me online as iMike. Jason is at JasonL, J-S-N-E-L-L, and you can find Jason's work at SixColors.com. I want to thank our sponsors, Linode, ButcherBox, and Hello. Our show notes are at relay.fm slash upgrade slash 254. So let's finish up every episode of Upgrade as we always do, Jason, with some hashtag ask upgrade questions. Goodbye, Jason Snell. Goodbye. <laughs> Goodbye, Jason Snell. Uh, if our first question in downgrade today uh, in the hashtag ask upgrade segment comes from James. And this is also a follow up, which is interesting to have at the end of the show, but here we are anyway. Uh-huh. Um, if your favorite podcast moved to a service like Luminary, would you subscribe? I think the I think the challenge is going to be what's the exchange of money for content, and that's how I always feel about this. So if I had, if if the money I would spend is worth it, then I would do it. But that's what it would require is it would be something that I felt like. And my my hesitation here is that Luminary really wants to be like Netflix, mm-hmm. so they want to charge you a larger amount of money to give you a range of uh, premium exclusive audio shows. And so my gut feeling is if a podcast went that way, but it was priced that it only made sense if you want lots of them, I wouldn't do it. I would be um, frustrated by that. But it's one of those things, if that makes any sense, like I I'm, I pay the Flophouse $5 a month on Max Fund because I like that show and I want to give them money. But if they turned around and said, well, the Flophouse is now 10 or $15 a month as a part of Luminary, I'd be like, mm, is there anything else I listen to on Luminary that would make it worth it? Because I don't, I'm not, you know, then suddenly they're pricing it to pay for a whole service. It's, it's the dilemma everybody has when you have a show you're interested in. It, it's the Star Trek dilemma for people in the U.S. Where, where it's like, do I want to pay for CBS All Access for one TV show? Like, ideally, that service is priced as a service, not as a stream for a single thing. And if only one thing on that service interests you, the, I'm not sure the economics work. So that's that's my challenge with something like Luminary is they really want me in their ecosystem. And if they move a show I like into their ecosystem, um, that alone is probably not enough to make it a good deal unless I really, really, really love that show, at which point I guess I should be giving more money to the Flophouse. I think my problem in this would be if I then couldn't listen to it in my podcast app of choice. Because that's going to break my model of listening to the show. Like, I'm going to forget, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, if, for example, My Brother, My Brother and Me became a paid show on a Wardoff platform, or if they had their own app or whatever, and it wasn't in Overcast anymore, I would struggle to remember to listen to the show. Because when I want to listen to a podcast, I open Overcast, and I look at what's in there, and I choose what I want, right? But if then that show's not in there right. anymore. And I, and I have playlists. Like, yeah, exactly. I just put I my playlists. priority shows in my playlist and I, I listen to my priority playlist and that's it. That's like that's my podcast world. So it would be super strange to me to then have something living outside of that. I think that would be my biggest yeah. my biggest kind of pause would be, well, I'm not sure if this works in my model of what a podcast would be for me anymore. And that might make me I not. actually have this right now. Um, I subscribe to The Athletic, which is a uh, a sports... It's an app and a website, and it's a uh, subscription content uh, service. It's like a sports page, sports website, and you pay. And I, I like it. I think it's really good content. I'm happy to pay for it. It is uh, doing a better job 
most of the time covering sports than my other sports outlets are. Um, even my local paper is sort of like neck and neck with it, really. And uh, so I want to do that. Well, they started doing podcasts. And they're only listenable within their app. Mm. And I actually filed a bug ticket with them. And I said, guys, you need to be able to let me log in with a username with my username and password in Overcast to a, a feed URL and get this podcast because I want to listen to it. I'm paying for it. They have a lot of I, shows too. They do. I will never listen to a podcast. I have listened to a couple, but it has to be like literally I'm I've got my phone. I think of it or or they push a notification to me and I think, "Oh, I have time to listen to a podcast right now while I go do an errand or whatever. So it's happened once or twice, but I would listen to those podcasts regularly if they were in Overcast. And Overcast and most podcast players have this facility for an authenticated feed where you can put in a username and password and they verify you and then you get to see the feed. And so, I mean, I've already complained to them about it, but but that proves my point, which is I am paying for a service that provides podcasts that I'm interested in listening to. And I don't listen to them because I have to use their app and I don't want to. Uh, John asks, what is your current robot vacuum recommendation? Oh, boy. I only have you. you I have a, a, uh, a Roomba 680, I want to say, mm-hmm. and it's running right now. Um, <laughs> I, I like it, but I if I were buying... I bought it because I thought on a lark, I was like, I really want a robot. This will be great. Uh, I don't know if it'll work or not. I got a deal on the kind of cut rate Roomba. I'm going to I'm going to use it. And I really like it to the point that now I actually regret buying the cheap one because I would love the more expensive one with the mapping and stuff like that. And this one is just one of the dumb ones that just bumps around. So I have a Roomba 960, which we got them around I got mine about a year ago. You you got yours quite recently, right? It was a uh, yeah, like yeah, Christmas basically. Yeah, and I really like it a lot. Um, it's it's great, and and I and I yeah. But now they have this new one. The uh, well, they have a couple of new ones now. They're the i series, which is the one that not only maps because mine kind of maps around, but it doesn't remember mm-hmm. where like the certain rooms are. But with the i series ones, you can say, oh hey, go clean this specific room yeah and that's the killer feature because and i would totally use that if i could say now go clean that room and Um, this is also the one where they introduced the like the base where it can suck up the stuff for you so you don't have to empty it as often yeah it comes with a little home and you run it a couple of times and you've got to empty out the dust tray so they Mm -hmm. they made like a mega home that's like a tower and built a system where it empties the the dirt tray into a big bin, which mm-hmm. is brilliant. I mean, it's a lot more money to do that, but it is kind of brilliant if you're somebody who doesn't want to clean out the, the Roomba. So, yeah. But I found I, I out would... today, Jason, there is also mm-hmm. a brand new series. Oh, no. The S series, which is better at edges, like dealing with edges and corners. Like to clean oh, interesting. Because the Roomba kind of doesn't do a great job with the very edge of like a of, of a wall or something. Right. But they've kind of refined the design to make it better for that. And it has all the, the new stuff. And they're, yeah. they're very expensive. But I love my Roomba. Uh, I do too. I, I, think it's a, I think it's a really nice little thing to have at home. And I will say, if you're listening to this at the right time, it is Prime Day. And there are always deals on Roombas. There are deals on Roombas right now. Yeah, uh, I will also say that 
that uh, we have somebody in the chat room who's pointing out that uh, that they they have a a, a Nito that uh, does the mapping and stuff like that. And I will say, Nito is a competitor to iRobot, um, and Wirecutter really likes their stuff. So I haven't used that because I've only ever used one robot. But there are other robot, robot vacuums available. If you're curious about this, you should go and investigate and maybe look at the Wirecutter's reviews and all of that. But I will say again that as somebody who'd never had one and I bought one in December, I have discovered that I actually really like it. And I set it up to go almost every day and it picks up a lot of stuff. We have two pets and, you know, it, it really does a good job with dust and pet hair and stuff like that. And now I regret not splurging on a higher featured model because um, because it's really good. And uh, I'm a little sad that I've just got the one that just kind of bumps around <laughs> until it's done. But uh, it's still pretty great. Yeah, when we bought ours, they didn't have the the room remembering technology because I would have bought that. That's the one I would have yeah. got because I know that I would have wanted it, right? But yeah, I just didn't have it. Yeah, because I had that all the time where I want to, I want to, I wanted to clean the hallway and yes. in front of where the cat box is and stuff like that. And instead, I have to pick it up and carry it over there and press mm-hmm. a button and have it bump around over there for a while, and it's dumb. So, yeah. Robert asks, "Do I still need iTunes Match?" If you have Apple Music, you have iTunes Match and you don't need it. Now, it used to be that they were different. It used to be that iTunes Match let you upload your library and then download it again DRM-free. And the Apple Music version matched your library, but all your downloads would still have the Apple Music DRM on them. And if you canceled Apple Music, your downloads would go away. That's what it used to be. It's not true anymore. It hasn't been true for a couple of years. Serenity Caldwell wrote about this when it happened. And this was quite a bit before she left iMore to go to Apple. And that was a year ago. So it's been a while now that this, I, I want to say two years now. So you don't need iTunes Match if you're an Apple Music subscriber. If you're an Apple Music subscriber, you, uh, you know, iTunes will scan your iTunes library, or I guess the music app come this fall, will scan your library and it will do the matching and it'll upload things that don't match and it'll make it all available. And if you were to lose your files, I don't recommend that you delete your files, but if you were to lose your files and you downloaded the ones that had matched, they would be DRM free. That's my understanding. So you don't need iTunes match in addition to Apple Music. Um, it's sort of an either or. iTunes Match is a separate purchase if you're not an Apple Music subscriber to just get your library synced to all of your devices and it's a great product. But if you're using Apple Music, you don't need it. Kevin asks, do you have a system for taking notes while recording each episode about what kind of edits you want to make? Like say, for example, somebody comes in and interrupts you, so you write down the time that it happened. Yes, Kevin, that is exactly what I have. I have a notebook in front of me. Um, It's the Pano book by Studio Neat, which is my favorite notebook for this type of stuff because it sits very nicely underneath my keyboard. And every time either I talk over Jason or Jason talks over me, I write down a little time code. Except this time. Because this is just an example. Mm-hmm, thank you. I, you know, I knew you were going to do that. I was yeah. waiting for the moment that I you know. were going to. It was inevitable. In. Uh, and then I will go back in later on and fix that. And th- that is a this is a specific way of editing. It's not necessarily the best way, but for me, I find it gives the best edit to account mm-hmm. for speed, which is what we're going for. Like I, yeah, I could sit like I do with some other shows and listen to this entire show and edit it carefully like that. But then upgrade will take at least a day or two more to be released, and that's not what I want. Um, mm-hmm. That's not what we want. I, I like this show is is news focused, and for, for us, we like to be faster with it. So over time, we've just gotten better at the way that we work together like that, and I've developed my own little system. 
and I'll take notes, not even just time, like little times of when we talk over each other, but sometimes during the show, me and Jason will make a decision about things maybe we want to cut out or change, and I just write down a note, and I'll go back in and fix it later on. So that's yeah. the system. I, d- I do the same, and um, I... Uh, this is actually why, for those who have read me, uh, you know, my pieces about using Logic, this is why I use the Remove Silence feature in Logic, which basically takes all the parts where there's no sound and makes them disappear. So all that's left with are little blocks that each represent a noise being made in a particular audio track. And the re- the number one reason that's valuable is you can very quickly see when somebody talks and then, which is a long block of audio, and then in the middle of it, there's a block of audio on another person's track. And you go, oh, that's probably not good. I mean, it may be just a, oh yeah, you know, an interjection. Uh, and when people are having a conversation and they're going back and forth and you suddenly see a bunch of overlap, that's the stuff that I, I'm visually drawn to. And and in most of the podcasts I do, that like like Mike, that is what I'm trying to really clean up is I want to make it seem like we're completely simpatico and not in California and England and mm-hmm. with Skype lag and occasionally having a false start. I want to make it seem, and I know you are the same way, make it seem like you you stop and I start and then I stop and then you start and we're in perfect harmony because I think it's a better listening experience. Yes. And a monologue like this one where I've talked for a long time, that's really easy because you look and you're just like, oh, Jason talked for a while and you go to the end of it. And Andreas asks, as independent workers, do you have specific working hours? Do you plan your day in this way or do you work on holidays and weekends? Well, my boss is a jerk and makes me work on holidays. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we do this show on a Monday, which is often a holiday, but we usually still do this show on the Monday. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was talking to somebody over the weekend and I, I said, the nice thing about about uh, being an independent worker is I can set my own hours. There And they, they responded, but you work every day. And I said, there is some truth to that. I can make choices about when I work and when I don't. But it's also true that it does it does bleed over sometimes. Like I, I still edit, and this is a vestige of when I worked on a Monday to Friday job, but I still edit The Incomparable on Saturday morning. I just, I do that. That's just a thing that I do. And sometimes podcasts get recorded over the weekend because that's when people are available to do them. Um, I try to be at my desk at a certain time and leave my desk at a certain time. But there are, I do have the flexibility to step away and go do something else during the day. And the exchange for that is that I'm also sometimes recording a podcast at night or on a weekend or doing some other work um, in what would traditionally be downtime. Being in the situation that I am in with the type of business that I run, I do work every single day. Like it's just, even when I'm on holidays, there will be things that people need. But that's a choice that I make, right? Like I'm fine with that uh, because I get to pick when I work. I get to choose that. So yeah, that's the trade-off is you you can, I I was having this realization because so, so my wife does not have a lot of vacation time and it it just, it, it strikes me when we are choosing travel together that uh, her priorities, you know, have to, we have to start calculating out like when's she going to work and what's she going to take off and all of that. Mm-hmm. And, and it is funny because then I go, uh, I look at it and I'm like, eh, whatever, like literally yeah, I have to I'll move things around and schedule things, but I can go if I want, I can, yep. I can be gone for this day and I'll just make it work. And, and that is big, uh, that, that's great. And that is the payoff. But the other side of it is that you probably have to work times where you might not otherwise. Yeah. But it's like, I want to spend an extra couple of days on a vacation I'm planning. Fine. I just know I need to keep my phone on me. Like, 
and then and then maybe nobody will bother me that day like or maybe nothing will come up and sometimes that's the case and then i just get to enjoy the day so there there that's the thing you work every day but you don't have to work all day yeah all right so that was hashtag ask upgrade well, that is hashtag Ask Upgrade. It's just beginning. I'm not sure. Uh, this episode is brought to you by our friends over at Hollow who make insanely comfortable buckwheat pillows. I don't know if you've ever tried a buckwheat pillow. It's very different to regular fluffy pillows because it supports your head and neck fully. It doesn't collapse under the weight of your head like you might be used to. Um, Hollow pillows stay cool and dry compared to feather or foam pillows because the buckwheat filling inside them breathes better. Um, air can flow through more easily. There's no more need to flip to the cool side of the pillow because it always stays cool and you can add and remove the filling to suit your needs to make it larger or smaller so it can be just the size that you want i just returned from a basically two-week vacation last night i got home and i went to sleep on my hollow pillow and it was so nice because i am so used to this type of pillow now i love the way it feels i love the way it sounds i love the support of it um, it is like a comfort thing for me now. Like it's like a, just like a like oh I'm home because I have my hollow pillow. I absolutely love it. You should try it out if you've never tried it before. It's a completely different type of sleeping experience. But the level of comfort that I feel from this pillow is better than anyone else. Um, hollow pillows are made in the USA with quality construction and materials. The certified organic cotton case is cut and sewn for durability, and the buckwheat is grown and milled in the US as well. If you're curious to try one of these things out, you can. You can sleep on it for 60 nights, and if it isn't right for you, just send it back and Hollow will give you a refund. So go to hollowpillow.com slash upgrade right now and get your own buckwheat pillow. That's H-U-L-L-O-P-I-L-L-O-W, hollowpillow.com slash upgrade. If you buy more than one, they have a discount of up to $20 off depending on the size that you opt for. They have fast, free shipping of every order. 1% of all profits are donated to the Nature Conservancy, and you can just give it a try. If you love it, you keep it. If you don't, you send it back. hollowpillow.com slash upgrade. Our thanks to Hollow for their support of this show and Relay FM. So we should talk about our second topic, our main topic uh, for this yep. week's episode, the big one. New laptops. That's oh. hilarious, considering last week's episode. We were talking about uh-huh. laptop rumors. Will they? Won't they? Uh, turns out they did with some of them, didn't with some others. We have a, a, an interesting couple of revisions. We have new two new laptops and the departure of another, uh, or two new additions, two new uh, types of things going on with the MacBook Air. The MacBook Air now starts at $999 if you're a student. It's $1099 otherwise. Uh, they put a True Tone display in it, and they updated the keyboards to have the new, yes. quote, new keyboard new materials. materials. <laughs> um, still the butterfly keyboard, yep. but with the new materials that came in the MacBook Pro a few months ago. Um, and then the MacBook Pro, the the what has been dubbed the Escape, the MacBook Pro with the physical keys, that MacBook Pro is basically half gone, half upgraded. It, the, the, the product oh. that now sits in that line, in that space in the line, has a touch bar now. There is no more a MacBook Pro with actual uh, physical uh, function keys on it anymore. It has True Tone display, comes with a T2 chip, and of course, because it has a touch bar, Touch ID. Um, and also, the MacBook, the 12-inch MacBook with the one USB-C port is gone. It is gonzo. We'll talk about the MacBook in a minute, uh, but I want to kind of get your feeling on the updates to the laptop line um, I would expect, Jason, that you were only further uh, recommending the Air to people. Uh, yeah. But I, I wonder as well what you think about the consolidation of the MacBook Pro line in that they've really kind of made it all one now with the touch bar and stuff like that. Yeah, so two things 
going on here. The, so the Air is not much of an update. It really is a tweak. The best thing was the price went down, honestly. Like, that's... That's that's actually fun, the feature. Really, a hundred dollars for ri- for everyone except uh, education, and one hundred and fifty dollars for education. And that's probably why they did this, right? So they could get it in before back to school, and at the price point that everybody kind of wants yes. it to be. And I had already done. I mean, we've got a story on that I update on six colors. That's like the right laptop, Mac laptop mm-hmm. to buy for a student. I already said it's the MacBook Air. The truth is the 999 price, I mean and that is the that is the right price and we always said that the old non-retina Air existed at 999 essentially for education and here we are education it's 999 is now the education price. Let's be uh open here. Apple has been making the Air available aggressively in specials at various online retailers for 999 for a long time now. Almost since it came out, this is the um, new one you're talking about. The right? new Retina yeah. Air. Yeah. So, so saying that it, you know, it got cut in price, um, is good. Um, but I will say that nine ninety nine. You've been able to get a MacBook Air, the base model for nine ninety nine, for a while now. If you hey, look for the maybe look for the deal. Maybe you get two. it for eight ninety nine somewhere now. Who knows? Maybe or maybe they've just they're they're they were doing that as a way to keep the price up, and now they're sort of like, no, no, we're going to actually sell it. But my yeah. guess is that you'll still find it for nine ninety nine. Mm-hmm. Um, but now the base price is what ten ninety nine. Um, other big thing, and this is the Stephen Hackett um, thing. You guys talk about this on Connected a lot. Is the the uh, the storage upgrades, which used to be kind of laughable, like you had to go up to one and a half terabytes or something like that and pay a fortune for it. And they, the storage updates seem to be a little more granular and a little more reason, reasonably priced, which is another nice tweak that they're making that I think is more education-friendly. If you are buying a Mac, a Mac laptop for a student this summer, uh, which I may be because my daughter's going off to college, mm-hmm. I have to see how she feels about her three-year-old MacBook, 12-inch MacBook. Uh, the MacBook Air, it's, it's great. I mean, the, the keyboard... It's unclear whether the new materials keyboard is going to be um, more reliable, and a lot of people don't like it for lots of reasons that have been detailed. The travel, the the arrow keys, there's lots of reasons, but it's got Touch ID, it's got a beautiful display, now that it's got True Tone in addition to that. It's a good it's a good laptop, and, and that's the one that I would recommend. That Both of these have been put into the keyboard replacement program. They're both in there. So, you know, if there is a problem... If there's a reliability problem for this new materials model, um, you've got four years, at least, of coverage of it. I know that there are a lot of people are going to say, no, I'm not going to buy a Mac laptop until they change the keyboard. Fair enough. Get sometimes yep. sometimes people um, sometimes you don't have do that it. choice. Sometimes you, your kid's going to college exactly. and you need to they need give them a laptop. So what you're exactly going to do, right? right? And, and yeah, so the keyboard might suck. You buy them a but... PC laptop, if then they'll hate you forever. Mm-hmm. Or you could uh, just buy the MacBook Air and it's nice. And we, like I said, I bought two. We have two of these in my house now. And uh, and they're pretty great. Actually, they're pretty pretty great. Uh, the MacBook Pro, the MacBook Escape thing. Like, I know from a computer nerd standpoint the MacBook Escape didn't go away. It just got uh, it got a processor update and a touch bar uh, because it's still the lower power processor, but it is a quad core now, which it was a dual core before. It's got the touch bar. Um, it's only got the two ports, the two Thunderbolt 3 ports, whereas the higher end 13 has four. So there's still two distinct levels of 13-inch MacBook mm-hmm. Pro. That said, I think... From a regular person standpoint, and even from a product line, product marketing standpoint, 
I feel like it's much more logical now. There's there's, there's clarity. The MacBook Pro has Touch Bar. Period. The air is not even that much lighter or thinner than the MacBook Pro anymore. So right. like that wasn't a differentiator. Yeah. So here it is. Now, now yes, there's the one with two, and there's the one with four, and mm-hmm. there's variation within what the 13-inch MacBook Pro is, but they both look pretty much the same and have a touch bar. Yep. And a discerning uh, person will know the differences between the, the top and the bottom of the line models, but honestly, lots of computer models have differences between the low-end and the high-end configurations. These okay. are a little more extreme, but at least it feels it feels like the same product, whereas before, it really felt like there were two completely separate 13-inch MacBook Pros. Now it feels like there's one with some variation, even though behind the scenes, it, it, you know, it is the evolution of the MacBook Escape into something that... Uh, but I feel like the, the touch bar is such a defining characteristic of that product line right now that to have one without it was super strange. And now, um, and now it's got it, which is, which is great. But the, for me, Mike, the big story, and I wrote about this at Macworld last week, is this is Apple finally saying, uh, this is like the last shoe to drop in this several-year drama of the replacement for the MacBook Air. Because they came out with a MacBook and it was like, yeah, this is obviously the future. This is mm-hmm. going to be the computer that replaces the MacBook Air. And then when they came out with the MacBook Pro line and that escape model, we all remember, um, I think Phil Schiller standing on stage and saying, you know, this is a great replacement for the MacBook Air, except it costs like four or $500 more. But it was the same kind of processor class um, in terms of power, and it's got a fan, and it's about the same weight, and it's about the same size. So you're like, oh, this is like a MacBook Air, except it was way more expensive. And uh, so there it is. Apple's got two products that it's basically put out over the course of about uh, a year that are theoretically MacBook Air replacements, and then the Air can fade away. And they didn't even name the MacBook Air because they're going to let that name fade away. And we know the story, which is the MacBook Air wouldn't die. And as of last week, those two products that really were kind of like claiming to be basically a MacBook Air replacement are dead. It's like the MacBook Air took them out. Like they were the they were the pretenders. They were gonna try to take the MacBook Air's place in Apple's product line, and they're both gone. <laughs> and the MacBook yep. Air is here. Who yep. would have bet on that two years ago? That's Nobody. amazing. But that's the power of the MacBook Air, and it shows you what a miscalculation they made with those two products. I would say probably what's happened here is Apple maybe didn't realize how powerful a brand they had in the mm. MacBook Air. I think that that yeah. branding has resonated with people for long enough that it was just strong enough, right? Like it just, it just, it hit just about right. But I think it's also there's something, something bad happened with the MacBook, right? Like I yeah. feel like, you know, I, I said this unconnected, but I feel like this product didn't get the moment it was owed. Like it didn't get its place in the plan that they had for whatever reason. Uh-huh. You know, like it feels like this was a product that was supposed to get better. But it never really it never, did. It didn't have it, its it jump. It never did. So this is the thing. I, I And I was on Twitter. I was just talking to Marco about this on Twitter last week. Um, what other product has that exact same description? It's the yeah. trash can Mac, Mac Pro, yeah. right? And I think that, that that may be the source of this, is that they wanted to make the iPad laptop, right? They wanted to make the ultimate super small, super thin, no fan Mac laptop. And they did. 
and I and and the story of the 12 inch MacBook, at least so far, maybe it will come back in some form down the road. There are lots of conspiracy theories about that, about this being a, a future ARM laptop design. But the story of the Mac MacBook, 12 inch MacBook right now is it never got better. And we expect these Apple products to come out and then to see Apple iterate on them. And the Mac Pro, we expected that. And the MacBook, we expected that. And the MacBook never got better. I would have bet money, and I would have lost it, that in a matter of a year or two, the MacBook would have gained ports and probably gained Thunderbolt 3 mm-hmm. and, and would have just kind of continually gotten better from its, its you know, shaky, in a way, very limited start. It would keep improving. And, like the air. Uh, it right. never did. It, it like the air. The exactly. Air. Exactly. And it never did. And my, um, my theory as a person on the outside who is not a computer engineer is... Oh, that fanless design, right? Is that a thermal corner thing where like the parts from Intel and the heat issues, like the way the whole thing, the whole premise of that product was based on this particular set of stuff from Intel that is super limited and didn't get better. And they end up with this product that they're just kind of stuck with a low end processor that's not very good and a, and, and a USB-C port. And, and at some point they're like, look, we, we should we should not even... It's, this is a sunk cost. We should just cut it loose and build a new MacBook Air. And I look at it now, and I think that's exactly what they did. A couple years ago, probably, they looked at the MacBook after it being out on the market for a couple of years and said, this is a mistake. We just need to do a MacBook Air, and we need to cut the MacBook loose. And the MacBook hasn't gotten any updates, and now we've got a MacBook Air, and then the MacBook is gone. So I think they just looked at it and realized, we made a mistake. This We made assumptions with this product, and it turns out that not only... Is it really limited, but it doesn't have any room to grow? And they made the MacBook Air, which is not, you know, not as advanced in a lot of ways as the old MacBook Air, because a lot of the, so again, the same class of processor is really in that bottom of the line MacBook Pro, but it has a fan, <laughs> it has Touch ID, it has multiple Thunderbolt 3 ports. It's, you know, it's better in every way than the MacBook other than size and weight. So it is fascinating that that they ended up, this is very clearly, like very quickly too, I think, if you think about the timeline, Apple realizing that the MacBook was a mistake and that they needed to do the MacBook Air again. So there's been lots of refinements to the laptop line this year, I think, like a bunch of speed bumps and stuff like that. I don't think we were expecting to see anything change on the Air for a bit. Um, I, even on last week's episode, we were talking about like, oh well, the escape's probably dead, right? Like that was yeah. That except Marco, Marco said he heard that it was going to get updated, which it sort of did, but yeah. in a weird way. Yep. And yeah. So is this encouraging to you? This continues to be like a, something that you you like to see Apple doing. I think it is. I think that MacBook sort of head fake to, and then going to the MacBook Air is maybe a good example of Apple realizing that its priorities with the Mac were out of whack. Also, continually updating these uh, these systems. These were the two, the MacBook and the MacBook Escape were the ones who hadn't gotten an update and everybody was sort of like, well, what's going to happen? And the answer is one of them became a more of a MacBook Pro and the other one got dropped. And that's, the, that's your answer. But Apple has done a pretty good job of updating the laptops. They seem to have realized that the MacBook itself was just a bridge too far. Um, they have, with the Air, I am encouraged, they are pushing the price down on that Retina Air, which was the biggest complaint all of us had about it, was that it looked really great, but it was $200 more yep. Yep. than the base model of the old MacBook Air, and that was, and now it's 100 more, uh, and, and it's, uh, so it's, it's 
closer. And again, with a deal, you can get it for $9.99. And that's a pretty good deal. That's a great price for that laptop. So I'm encouraged that they have a plan and that they have some clarity about what the Mac is now that maybe they didn't have back when they released that MacBook and and that keyboard, by the way, <laughs> in 2015, right? Like, I, I think maybe we are starting to see the the fruits of that uh, that change in attitude toward the Mac that we saw starting a couple years ago. So what about this 2019 MacBook Air with the new keyboard that our friend Roger predicted? Now, what do you think? I Sometimes I wonder if maybe what we're hearing is a, some confusion based on what the parts are. So it sounds like there's a new keyboard, but what, what model is it? And I've heard, uh, I think on ATP, I think Marco said, well, they could just do a new, a new MacBook Air with a new keyboard this fall. It seems like they would not bother with this update, but it is a super minor update that's just for back to school. So if they had a new MacBook Air with a new keyboard shipping in November, that would be too late for back to school. So maybe they, they rush, they swap in the new keyboard, which the old MacBook Air could get can get that keyboard if it's repaired, right? So yep. it's, that's not a change at all. They added the True Tone thing, but it's like it, 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 may, it may be that the MacBook Air mid-2019 is is replaced with a MacBook Air late 2019. That's one of the reasons they do those early, mid, late is sometimes models change during a year and that could happen. Um, but I, I think it's fascinating. Like we've had all these laptop updates. So Apple theoretically doesn't need to update Mac laptops again until next year. Um, but they often will do Mac updates in the fall. So I don't know. I think it's, I think it's a, I think it's fun that it's mysterious about what they're doing. I think we all anticipate that we're going to see a new generation of Mac laptops. It's unclear what they will be. Um, the MacBook Pro is the one that probably needs a new... I mean, the MacBook Air is essentially a new generation last year. So I doubt that it, it would be radically changed, even if they swapped in a new keyboard for it. But the MacBook Pro is crying out for that. So I think the most likely scenario is probably... That it's the it is that 16 inch MacBook Pro that is replacing the 15 inch MacBook Pro, and that that design could come this fall or it could come next spring because I feel like the MacBook Pro needs it the most, and that's your high end thing. It's going to pros who are going to be more finicky about this stuff. Like that's the logical place to roll all this stuff out, and you got the MacBook Air ready to go for back to school. Like, do you need more than that? I don't know. I still think it's possible that we see the if, if you know I just I don't think that this update to the MacBook Air precludes them from putting a new keyboard in it towards yeah. the end of the year. It, it doesn't. Like I I really see this as like they wanted to get that price down. They had a way to do it and if they did it they could also change the screen over which may have been some other economical reason that they would want to do that. Adding a feature doesn't necessarily mean it's more expensive, right? Like Also you know, conspiracy theory wise, and I think I mentioned this last week, I don't, I mean, it's possible that the keyboard place in the MacBook Air is, um, is a new keyboard size because, you know, the, the last mm -hmm. year's model and this year's model can be, they can swap in that, that keyboard, the new keyboard for the old keyboard. They're the same size. It's possible that that size is the size and shape and all the dimensions, all the specs that is necessary for this keyboard 
and the next keyboard. I'm not saying that that's true. It may require a complete redesign, but I think if they're going to completely redesign the MacBook Air case, it, it's not going to happen a year after they already did it. It seems very unlikely that they would do it, but it is possible that they already did it. And we just don't know because we're they're still using because the new keyboard's not ready. But they, when it is ready, they've got a place to put it. I don't know. I don't know. It's I, what's great about this. If you like mystery, <laughs> is all of it is possible. Like we could see anything. We could see an ARM MacBook return to the lineup this fall or next spring too. I mean, there's all of these things are out there now that Apple is has kind of cleared the cleared the decks of some of our long-standing Mac laptop questions like what happens to the MacBook Escape and what happens to the 12-inch MacBook. This episode is brought to you by our friends over at Linode. Linode served their customers with the help of 10 data centers across the globe to help you Instantly deploy and manage an SSD server in the Linode cloud. You can get a server running in just seconds with your choice of Linux distro, resources, and node location. They are adding places all the time. In Before the, the end of 2020, there's going to be new data centers in Mumbai, India, and Toronto, Canada. So they're going to be online to help you continue to roll your stuff out worldwide so you keep it nice and fast and responsive. Linode features native SSD storage, a 40-gigabit network, and Intel E5 processors, meaning you're able to serve your customers with incredible speed and power backing everything up. You don't have to stress about overspending with Linode as well because they've designed their pricing tiers. Not only are they great prices, they feature hourly billing as well with bonus, with uh, the added bonus of a monthly cap on all plans and add-on services such as backups and no balances so you know exactly how you're spending uh, your money and they're really communicative with all of that stuff as well. Their plans start with one gigabyte of RAM for just $5 a month and they have high memory plans that start with 16 gigabytes of RAM so you have the power you need. And Linode have a special offer for listeners of this show. If you go to linode.com slash upgrade and use the promo code upgrade2019, you will get $20 towards any Linode plan. So if you sign up for the one gigabyte of RAM plan, you will get four free months with that credit, which is awesome. They also have a seven day money back guarantee as well. So you have nothing to lose. Give Linode a try today. Go to linode.com slash upgrade and use the promo code upgrade2019 to learn more, sign up and make the most of that $20 credit. Our thanks to Linode for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. So shall we continue, Jason, with our second of two kind of mini follow-up-y topics? Sure, let's do that. I love the mini topics. Let's um, do some. Uh, there were some changes in Apple retail that I wanted to, to point out because we were talking about this a lot when Angela Arons left and we've been talking about it before, like when looking at the way that Apple is selling their products in Apple stores. So some Apple stores have gotten new signage. So there are these new display tables that have like integrated stands that show the three iPhones next to each other and has a bunch of like key details to show the differentiation between them. Uh, the glass cases on the Apple Watch stand has been removed, allowing you to easily try them on. And there is something called Express Checkout being tried out in a bunch of uh, Apple stores as well, where it's basically a checkout desk for accessories. And I just wanted to kind of get your feeling on this. Like, this seems like a refinement to the look at our stores, they're these places of beauty, and they're maybe trying to make them a little bit more functional again. Yeah, this seems to be in line with what we've uh, talked about since uh, Angela Arons was was leaving, mm -hmm. which is, and, and for those who don't know, our theory is basically that she was brought in under the assumption that Apple was going to 
be able to continue selling iPhones without trying to sell them, essentially. Yeah, that like that the iPhones you, were selling themselves, effectively. Yeah, and that yeah. Apple stores were basically brand extensions, incredibly pop, uh, popular, profitable brand extensions. Because really... The, the beautiful buildings that just happen to have iPhones in them, right? Yes. <laughs> like, that you and, could walk and, out with. And throw off enormous amounts of money mm-hmm. while you're focused on brand extension instead of sales, which is a great problem to have, right? And what happened is the iPhone sales stalled and uh, they realized they needed to start pushing those buttons. And we did an episode where we talked about that a lot. And I leaned on my you know, Apple retail sources, uh, people in the trenches who say this is absolutely true, that starting last fall, especially the focus has really been on uh, pushing people towards sales, like not necessarily like sleazy sales tactics, but like if we do training uh, sessions and education sessions in the store, which they do a lot of, let people try the new hardware, you know, basically like how how do we expose people to this stuff so that we are going to increase our chance of selling a new product to them? And that is something that they didn't have to do so much of before. So I look at this and I think this is, this is all part of that change, which Angela Arendt wasn't brought in to really do. She was brought in to do the pretty beautiful brand extension thing. And this is much more back to basics retail of we need to make our stores clearer and it easier for people to give us money because, you know, any friction in the process used to be not a problem because people were beating down our doors to buy our iPhones. And now we need to coax them in and convince them to do it. And that's a, you know, Apple still got one of the most powerful retail operations in the world, perhaps the most powerful, but they have to work harder than they used to. And this seems to be right in line with that. One of the other big complaints that is levied towards Apple stores is that it's so difficult to get repairs scheduled, right? So Apple released a press release about this, and I didn't really see many people talking about it. I only found it by accident. uh, That Apple have partnered with Best Buy, so there are now 1,000 stores across the U.S. that can do service and repairs for Apple products. And so this is going to significantly reduce the load on the Genius Grove, um, and also, like Apple calls out in their press release, that they now have service for where places where they don't have stores and they have no plans for stores. So they can do same-day iPhone repairs and they can do basically everything that uh, an Apple store can do when it comes to fixing iPhones and stuff like that. And I just think that this is a very interesting partnership as a way to kind of give Apple a bit of a release valve on their yep. technical support. Yeah, and and it solves the problem of uh, people not being close to an Apple store. They talk about how so much percentage of the the U.S. population is near an Apple store, but the truth is they don't cover, and a lot of those people are, it's a long drive, and you're driving there to hopefully get your computer fixed, and then you have to drive back another day, and it's a lot of driving, and it's really bad. And if you've got a a Best Buy, you add another thousand centers Mm -hmm. of repair, that's going to be better. And, And honestly... They're they're trying to grapple with something that we talked about when we talked about this uh, a few months ago, which is the dual purpose of a retail store, because it's not just a beautiful place to come and be part of the community and browse products, but it is a support center for people with broken products. And boy, if you've ever brought a broken product into one of those shiny Apple stores, it does not a good feeling because they are not... It is neither job one nor job two when you walk in, right? It's people talking and having a good time and being at the Apple store and it's people buying products. And then you're there 
you know, lugging in your broken computer, yes. wanting support. These stores are not designed luck. for one of their primary functions. No, right. in fact, I would I would argue that in the long run, what Apple needs to do is focus on finding a way to do, and maybe this Best Buy partnership is part of that, but like even in the main retail stores, um, find a way to have the repair and support experience be clearer and more defined. And I don't know whether they should experiment with things like having a support center room on the side, in the back, something like that, so that you're not in the noisy everybody, you know, doing sessions and and playing with the stuff versus you trying to explain your problem, your broken computer. Like, I don't know how you address that, but it feels to me like the, um, at least in the stores that I've been in, they are wildly inappropriate in terms of tone for somebody who has a broken computer in their hands that they're desperately trying to fix. And I'm not saying that they don't give good service. I'm saying... I don't ever feel when I bring something in for service that I am that I belong in the store. Really, a bit fundamentally, that yeah. I belong in the store. I, I I feel at least my gut feeling is like they ought to have like a side door for <laughs> the broken computers because I don't back. belong here. I'm not yeah. one of these smiling, happy people who's saying, "Oh, maybe I'll be an iMac." I'm I'll buy an iMac. I'm the kind of person who's sad and carrying an iMac that is that has a spider in it. <laughs> you know, and it's it's a uh-huh. it's not a fun experience or you've got a laptop that won't boot or whatever it is. And I just I think it's a challenge that again was not on the radar. I know that they have, they do it, but like Angela Arents was not brought in to make an amazing uh, broken computer experience or broken phone experience. That was really not why she was there. And it's not her fault. That was you know that was not what they were thinking about, and I'm encouraged by this because maybe they—it's certainly a way that they could be better—is by figuring out how to good do that. Because better. this means this is two things: you can have your cake and eat it. You can keep making your stores these beautiful things that are not built for repairs, but also make it easier for people to get repairs by yeah, you know, by partnering with companies that can and do who have provide yeah. a different experience. The problem I have with the Best Buy thing is that Apple has also had a whole, like, they, they used to have a very large uh, Apple-certified repair, you know, dealers mm-hmm. and things like that. And those businesses have been decimated yeah. by the success of the Apple Store. There are 1,800 authorized service providers in the U.S. Yeah. So this is my, this is my larger point, which is if I was Apple and Apple Retail, I think... And I'm just going to throw this out there. This is just a wacky idea. I would invest in all of those certified Apple repair people and try to make an effort to make them stronger and to refer people to them so that these repairs are happening somewhere that is not my beautiful Apple store. At least yeah. to a larger degree, especially for things like maybe like Macs versus things like iPhones mm-hmm. that are that are super small and complicated and you need specialized equipment for them. But even them, maybe like that would be one solution here is to let the independent certified repair centers handle this stuff and get it out of the Apple store and say, no, yeah. what, what you should do is, you know, you go and you click on a genius appointment. I have a broken Mac. And maybe what they say is go you ahead. have a repair center next yeah. to you, near you. You should go to them, not to us. And they could just push some of that stuff aside. Uh, because one of the problems here is I think the fundamental idea, Apple wants to control everything. And so they say, well, we got retail stores and we're going to do all our support in there and we're going to get everybody else out and we're going to do it all ourselves. 
uh, which is fine if you do it. But the problem is if you are um, if you're not focused on it. So you've taken somebody else's stuff and then because you're Apple and then you don't pay it enough attention. That's the most maddening thing that Apple can do is or anybody who wants to have complete control over something is, OK, take complete control, but then you need to own it. And and uh, and instead, these people who are independent Apple uh retailers and repair centers and things like that that's just that business has been brutal because um apple stores are so successful so i don't know i i again it's not like apple stores don't do repairs and that apple doesn't you get in it's nice to take it into the apple store and sometimes it's convenient if you live close to one it's more that it it really doesn't feel like the apple store as it's defined today is built for it. Like they used to have genius bars in the back of the store, right? They don't even yep. have those anymore. Nope. So you, you just hold your broken computer and stand there or sit on a bench somewhere until someone comes to take it away. It is very sad. It is by, yeah, you prop your broken iMac against a tree and wait for a magical Apple genius to appear. It's not, not, there's more work to do here, but I, I'm encouraged. It, it, these moves make me feel like they know that there's something wrong. Yeah, there's one little thing. It's one like one last little thing. It's all, com- all coming from a press release, so it's the squeakiest, loveliest version it can be. But that when they say about the 1,800 uh, Apple authorized service providers, that's tripled over the last three years. That's good. So that, I mean, you, you would assume, I mean, that means they didn't have a lot. So when you talk about decimation, that's what the decimation was, right? There were not many three years ago. Yeah, they they all, yeah. I mean, the rise of the Apple store killed all that. Yeah. I mean, you used to go buy a Mac at your local computer shop, right? I think a lot of people did that. Some people went to Best Buy or wherever, but a lot of people, or, or your Mac breaks and you take it to your local Mac repair shop. And now you take it to the Apple store and they, they lost so much of their business and a lot of those companies are hurting or gone. And so, uh, yeah, yeah, more, maybe that was maybe just a little bit of a mistake on Apple's part. I don't know. And our first little follow-up mini topic today, uh, publishers are unhappy with Apple News Plus. According to a report from Business Insider, many publishers are not seeing good revenue from Apple News Plus. In some cases, there have been reports from publications that they are seeing one twentieth of what Apple told them they would likely <laughs> receive, or that it is about equal with the money that they received from Texture, which is not good if that's the case. Yeah, um, um, I was going to say the um, in journalism, Mike, we call this dog bites man. <laughs> Okay. The most common and obvious of stories. Of course, everybody said this before. Of course, this was going to happen. Apple was not going to be able to live up to their promise. How many people do we know who tried it out on the trial period and then canceled it and don't use Apple News Plus? I'm, yeah. you know, it, it's. I am not surprised. It's not a great experience. Uh, it's and, and the terms were never great for publishers. So how how unsurprising is this? Uh, the report from Business Insider cites that Apple is encouraging feedback from publishers um, who apparently seem ultimately unhappy with the magazine format. Like that, that isn't what a lot of companies want to do, which again is is not surprising. Um, yeah. And it also seems that users are confused with the offering. Like, what is free? What is paid? Uh huh. Um, I don't think Apple did a very good job of communicating it. I don't think they've done a very good job of pushing it. Um. Yeah, it, yeah. This, th- as you say, this is not a surprise to anybody who was paying attention because when it was announced, it was very much a huh, okay, right? Like it, 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 it wasn't much, and and it doesn't seem like it's taken off at all. I don't know why this got launched. 
in in Doesn't make just sense, thinking about it, it now, did they do it? I don't know why they launched this when all their other service stuff that they were doing is basically like this fall. Yeah. Why did this have to launch now? It was very clearly not ready. The the app is a mess. And do you remember when it launched and you could just like on the Mac version you could just get all the PDFs if you hadn't paid. download all the PDFs? Remember? Yeah. 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 And, and and it's not a good experience. Like I used it and and in a, a, an hour using it, it was very clear that it was a complete disaster. That I, I want to sign up for these things. You know, you want to sign up for the uh, favorites of the things you want. You want to be able to browse them directly or have them integrated in your newsfeed. They should probably be tagged as being part of News Plus. You should be able, like, the whole app needs to be better, and then News Plus needs to be better integrated into it. Plus, there's this whole thing that it's coming from texture, so there's a lot of magazine PDFs. And that is not what Apple News is about. Apple News is about reading individual articles. And uh, it did a bad job of that. And uh, also it's using a lot of magazine publishers when probably news publishers were better, but they couldn't make deals with many of them other than the Wall Street Journal and the LA Times. So it's a mess. It should never have launched. Um, It's not good. I will revisit it at some point, maybe in the fall, but like, unless they make major changes to the news app, which we haven't seen in any of the betas, right? Like it is, uh, you know, wow. It feels like some senior person at Apple really believed the PR about how great Apple news was and that how, um, and that they were going to just be able to, to march on in here and solve everybody's problem with their amazing product. And all of us are like, no, Apple News isn't that good. And you're bolting to to it something that doesn't work right mm-hmm. and doesn't fit. And the terms are bad and publishers shouldn't agree to them. Like, it, hmm, wow. So I, I wonder about this thing because what I would say is if Apple is committed to making Apple News Plus better and making the Apple News app better and making and working better with publishers, I think they could fix this and I think it could be a good product. However, I've seen zero evidence that Apple is actually committed to making news better and making better deals for publishers and making it a more usable app. Zero effort. And my apologies to those who use Apple News. I think it's not very good. And I think any... And it's too complicated. And any added complexity, like a set of premium feeds, just makes it unusable. So I I think it's a flop. And I'd like to believe that Apple recognizes that it's a flop and that they need to completely reconceive it. But um, they're going to have to show it to me because I see no evidence that they get it. All right, let's take a break for our first sponsor. Let's talk about ButcherBox, <laughs> the folk who deliver thoughtfully sourced meat directly to your door. And right now, they're offering juicy, grill-ready, 100% grass-fed beef burgers for free. So stick around to hear more about that. ButcherBox makes it easy to get high-quality meat that you can trust. Every month, ButcherBox delivers 100% grass-fed and grass-finished beef, free-range organic chicken, heritage-breed pork, or wild Alaskan salmon right to your door. Here's how it works. Every ButcherBox comes with at least 9 to 11 pounds of wonderful meat, which is enough for 24 individual meals. You can choose from four different box types, including a custom box where you can choose exactly how much you need. ButcherBox believes in a healthier food system where everyone has access to meat that is humanely raised and free of antibiotics and added hormones. And because ButcherBox works with a collection of ranches, they're able to cut out the grocery store middle people and pass those savings to you. Jason, could you tell me about ButcherBox? I love it. I get the custom box so I can choose exactly what we want because there are certain kinds of stuff that we won't eat. 
and certain kinds we will. So I get to pick and it's super easy. You just sort of pick, I want this stuff in the box and then you can set your frequency, how often you want the box. So you can figure out how much of the, of the uh, meat in the box you use, you know, is it every month, every two months, every three months, whatever there, that's perfectly fine. And it comes to your door in, packed in uh, a box with uh, dry ice and it's hard frozen. So it, it goes into your freezer, even in the height of summer, it goes, it's hard as a rock, frozen, mm. solid, you put it in your freezer and then you thaw it and the the quality of the meat is great. And I, as I've said before, here's the pro tip, you get one of those immersion circulators, those sous vide machines. Not only can you cook stuff with it to perfection and it's really great but it is the best fast thaw machine you will ever find you just set it on the lowest temperature setting and it stick the meat in the water and in like half an hour it's thawed it's amazing so um we this is a key part of our dinner strategy now is the we it's really nice to know that if we don't have something and we don't want to go to the store we've got the freezer and uh that helps with meal planning a lot so it's the summertime. You want to be having lots of barbecues or grills, depending on what you call them, where in the world you are. Are you going to be ready with this wonderful offer from ButcherBox? So for $20, you can get $20 off your first box and six burgers for free in every box all summer long until October 15th. So every box that you get, if you sign up right now at butcherbox.com slash upgrade, you will get six burgers for free. So go to butcherbox.com slash upgrade or enter the code upgrade at checkout. That's butcherbox.com slash upgrade. Promo code upgrade at checkout for $20 off your first box and six burgers for free all summer. Our thanks to ButcherBox for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. Substream time. Here we go, HBO Max. Who's Max, you say? Max is a new streaming service. That's who they are. Uh, this is the streaming service that HBO was created to try and compete against Disney Plus and Netflix. And you may say to yourself, but Mike, what about HBO Now and Go? Well, you need to already be a HBO customer, right, to get Now and Go? Well, not to get Go. Okay. Now is over the top, and I, I think it's going to die. I yeah, think it this probably is- will. I think this is literally going to replace it. That if you mm-hmm. want to get HBO content, you need to subscribe to HBO Max and the HBO Now product. I would not be surprised if this is literally going to be HBO Now. That it's literally they're going to take the tech they use to build it, convert everybody's subscriptions, and say, it's all of HBO Plus now. You get Friends reruns. Yay! Yeah, but so they will also have, and this is one thing that none of their services have right now, um, but Max is going to have original content that will live right. in the streaming service. So they have announced a bunch of deals with a bunch of big names, people like Reese Witherspoon. She's got two pro- projects with a Hello Sunshine company. She is a powerhouse in this yeah, streaming really. age. Uh, Anna Kendrick, Nicole Kidman, many more. There's a, I'm going to put a link in the show notes to a variety article where they break down all the original content. They've got lots of TV shows, lots of movies, lots of original stuff. Uh, is coming to HBO Max. Um, again, we don't know what it's going to be like. Uh, of course, as well, a vast array of Warner content. For example, right. Friends. This will be the place that you will have to watch Friends if you're in the US. There is some question about international rights, <laughs> which is like oh, a boy. whole other thing. So um, we talked about this at length on the TV Talk Machine podcast that I do with Tim Goodman, uh, episode 225. We'll put a link in the show notes last week. And we had a l- nice letter on that uh, episode from Joe Steele, <laughs> our friend. Mm-hmm. And 
uh, one of his points is that, yeah, all the international rights are sold in, in various markets for a long time. So that's going to stall their international rollout for a long time. They also made a lot of bad mistakes, or at least they lacked foresight for what they were going to do. So like Harry Potter is sold to NBC Universal until 2025 or something like that. So they can't get the Harry Potter stuff that they, it's their product, Stupid. but they can't put it on their service Stupid. until t- the mid, mid 2020s. Like it is, uh, kind of a mess, but this mm-hmm. is what happens when you change direction uh, rapidly in a year, basically, with a new owner and yes, that's aren't key, prepared right? for it. That's the right. key. WarnerMedia yeah. yeah. had a plan. AT&T do not want WarnerMedia's plan. No, they want a new plan. And mm-hmm. I, I, I'm going to say, too, uh, and I talked about this with Tim, um, I do believe that HBO now will just be retired or turned into HBO Max. Um, the differentiator there, HBO Now was actually really a bold move. It was the idea that you could get, you could not subscribe to any traditional cable service and you could still stream HBO. So HBO Go is, you know, for people who have cable and have an HBO subscription and you get HBO Go so you can stream it too. Like me. HBO Now, you're a cord cutter. You don't need anything. You just pay them directly and you get HBO's content as a stream, which is great. It was a bold move on their part because it, it's a it's saying you don't need to pay mm-hmm. our, our big source of money, cable companies and satellite companies. You can just pay us and we'll give you our shows. And like it was a big move. The problem is, you know, Disney comes out. They say they're going to be cheap at launch with their streaming service. Uh, they need a Warner Media streaming service. But how do you price it if you already have an over-the-top over streaming service? All it is is HBO and it costs way more than any of your competitors already. I think the answer is going to be you don't offer that anymore. You turn that into this HBO Max that's got even more content in it for that price or maybe even an introductory price that's lower than that. And if all you want is HBO, um, you can get that through cable. But if you want to do an over-the-top stream, you need HBO Max and you will pay for that and you'll get all of this extra stuff. I think that's where there's gonna, there has not been any reporting, but I cannot, it seems by far the most logical thing mm-hmm. for them to do. And honestly, I think this is the right move. I think they've got a lot going against them because they're saddled with bad contracts, bad deals, bad international. Like this is going to be really rough for a while, but I think it's the right thing to do because... HBO is a good brand. Warner is not. Warner is an old brand. If you're 80 or 100 years old or really like Looney Tunes, Warner is a great brand. But They're honestly, have Looney Tunes. <laughs> yeah, said that. yeah, but honestly, it's a bad brand. Like HBO, Game, we have the height of Game of Thrones, right? Like HBO is a brand that means good TV. And I think that it's the best piece of of branding they've got, so they ought to ride it. And they've got this group at HBO, and again, this is that story that we talked about where it's, you know, they get on stage and they tell the people at HBO, thanks for being very profitable and winning lots of awards. You've got to double or triple or quadruple your output because Mm -hmm. we live in a different world now. And that AT&T executive was kind of a jerk. Um, you know, the, the, uh, president of HBO who has been, who was so successful, tried to spin it. He ended up quitting or being shown the door regardless, but he's out. They've got new people in there. The way they did it, just like with their current position with all their contracts, the way they did it, not great. I think that's HBO or that's AT&T, uh, maybe being more abrasive than they need to be, but were they right? I think they were. I think you, you look at HBO and say, thank you for winning at this game. That was the way to win 10 years ago. It's not your fault that the world has changed. 
but the world has changed. I mean, I went through this when I talked to people who are doing print journalism and I said, you got to do the web. It's the same thing. It's like, you're not doing a bad job, but the job you're doing can't exist anymore. The world is changing around you. Yeah, we need to do something new. So taking the HBO development engine and also pouring in Turner and, and, and the stuff they've got there, like Adult Swim, and they've got a bunch of comedy stuff on, on TBS, and they, they've got, uh, you know, they've got Conan O'Brien's over there, and Samantha Bee is over there, and then they've got John Oliver over here. Like, there's some good stuff there, right? But like HBO, you're really good at, at making great stuff that people like, and people like your brand. And your new task is you're going to have to make a lot more of it because we need to yep. program a, a giant streaming service. And so it's been ugly. It's going to be ugly. And I think they're doing exactly the right thing. It's just going to be hard because of all the decisions that have been made over the last 10 years by people who are probably not even there anymore, certainly the old owners and probably old management. And they're going to have to unwind all that stuff because they didn't have those people did not have the foresight to realize like Disney did. Um a lot sooner that they have to go direct to consumer with a streaming service. So it'll be interesting to watch. I think they've got a great library. Even so it is going to be messy, but I do think that they've got a lot of compelling stuff and, um, and we'll see how it goes. But like, I, I think it'll be, um, I think it'll be a player. I'm, I'm intrigued by it, even though it's, yeah, yeah. There's the, we're, Hey, we're the company that brought you Harry Potter. We don't have Harry Potter. Ouch. <laughs> but we got a game of Thrones spinoff. How about that? Have they? Uh, yeah, there's a Game of Thrones spinoff in the works. The, the question is, I, I assume that will run on HBO, but of course, I imagine that HBO Max will be a superset. It will be literally everything that's on HBO plus uh, originals and catalog content. Uh, and and so um, the HBO or the Game of Thrones spinoff will presumably premiere on HBO and also be on HBO Max. So they'll be able to promote it that way. It's interesting that they have gone with the HBO brand, right? Like that they're rolling all of Warner Media's stuff under HBO. Like they know where they're where they're. It's the best. Are. It's the best name they yeah. they own, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I, are they going to call it like the Turner or the Warner or the, those are corporate no. names? They that, TBS, no TNT. Yep. Like H, it's not going to be the HBO we know, but it is a name that people recognize and it has positive associations. It is a symbol of quality. They win lots of awards. Um, I, I it's the best they got, and I think better that than they invent a new. <laughs> a new name for it some HBO weird too. hulu kind of name uh, for it like don't even just hbo max I mean, max is a, it's a weird name i guess they didn't want to be hbo plus because everybody else is a plus but maybe that meant they should have been but but you know, using hbo as the brand it's the right way to go i don't know if it'll work but i think it's the best of the the best hand for them to play let's put it that way based on the cards they've been dealt by the previous regime yep set to debut in spring 2020 um, no word about international availability, which is a surprise. I mean, but as we said, right, if they they might not want to do it until they can unwind yeah. some of those deals. So it might be like 2021, I read, 2022. I thought I read somewhere they're going to put it in beta this fall. And I don't know what that means hmm. other than maybe what they'll be doing. Again, if my theory holds, they'll just start adding some catalog content to yep. HBO now. But it is funny that like friends will leave Netflix at the end of the year, but most people might not even be able to watch it for a few months exactly. yeah well my guess it, my guess is that's an example if they do this beta thing is that friends will just show up on hbo now yeah, at that point yeah. and 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 they'll be transitioning it to hbo max or they'll call it hbo max but it won't all be there it won't be originals it'll just be the the stuff that was in hbo now that's my guess but we'll see 
Apple TV Plus's C, S-E-E, is as expensive as we thought. It was rumored uh-huh. to be one of the most expensive TV shows of all time. And the Wall Street uh-huh. Journal is reporting that Apple has spent nearly $15 million per episode on the Jason uh-huh. Momoa sci-fi drama. Uh, to put this into context, House of Cards cost $4.5 million an episode. So, huge. Massive. Yeah. Now, altered, altered Carbon, I know, um, cost a lot of money. That was, I think, previously had been discussed as possibly yeah. being the most expensive TV show ever made per episode. Um, and Game of Thrones, obviously, has cost a fortune, mm-hmm. so it might be. But we, we had heard and we said, and people were like, where did you hear that? And it's like, uh, places. <laughs> I am not able to reveal my sources, but definitely heard through the grapevine that it was incredibly expensive. And so it was fun to see this story that it's like, yeah, yeah it's $15 million per episode. That's what it cost. Yeah, so whether it's the most expensive or not, it kind of doesn't matter. It's in the very, very top, top, tippy-top tier, which is bold for a company that doesn't have any track record uh, with right. producing content. Because um, you know, like, the reason I bring up House of Cards, that was the breakout for Netflix. Um, that was, yeah, that was their first major original. Yep. And it was costing them a third of the cost by the end. Now, I know sci-fi is obviously more expensive to make if you want to do it properly, um, but it is just a very interesting thing. And also, this report talks about, and it rounds up some other stuff. So, the morning show, so Jennifer Aniston, Reese Witherspoon, Steve Carell, they are all earning over a million dollars each for appearing in it per episode. Uh, so like that's another thing to, to think about. The reason I bring that up, you couple that in with the $15 million cost per episode of something like C... I think Apple just don't care about that $1 billion budget anymore. Like that that budget, that number that we heard about, $1 billion, I don't think that that is a thing because they are pouring money into this. Like I, I, it seems like at this point, you just got to ignore that billion. They're putting in as much as they want to put in now, I think. Because that's a lot of money being thrown around. You got to, you know, you got to make a, you got the money, you got to make a strong impression. You got to have stuff that you feel. Like how does Apple... This is a good question. We, we've been debating, how does Apple differentiate Apple TV Plus? Because it's just more shows. Like, hey, we got shows. But they can't do what they do with Apple products, right? Where it's like, we, we have made something that nobody else could make. They're literally just working with TV producers to make TV shows. So how do you do it? I got to say, one way you do it, you spend more money because you're Apple. And then you say, we are, we are making TV at a level that no one else can Yep. Because they can't afford it. Like Netflix can afford it, but Netflix has to do a lot of shows and they're they're being a little more ruthless with it. And they can afford it and they will. But like that's one way to play with the big boys. Well, and also there's like a different economy, right? Like Netflix has to make their money by making good TV, right? So like they have to make good stuff to make the money that they need to make more stuff. Well, Apple has a literal pre- like money printing press. So they can just keep pouring money in and it won't be a problem because they make so much of it that they've just got it sitting around, right? Like they could just keep doing this. Every single show could be a flop, but it doesn't matter because they can just keep putting more money into it if they want to, right? Like if Netflix, all of their shows for a year flop, that's going to harm them for the next year. But for Apple, it doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. They can just keep doing it. And that is what makes them a threat. But they still may fail spectacularly. We just don't know yet. Right? But it's like they could just... The money doesn't matter. We'll just keep putting more money into it until it until it works or completely flames out. Yep. Should we do some follow-up? It's a good thing for the start yeah. of the show. Yeah, yeah. Let's do some follow-up. Um, I have, as of today, put the iPad OS beta on my iPad. 
Congratulations. I, you know, I, it's, I've been talking about it. I haven't done it. I've finally done it. I'm very excited about it. I like a lot of it a lot. It's buggy like a beta is, right? Like, it's just stuff's weird in places. Using a mouse is as incredible as I wanted it to be. I think it's fantastic. It makes me very happy. I love the new home screen. And the window stuff is its taking some time. I'm trying to get used to it. It's its difficult because the apps that I would want to use, I can't, right? Like, I can't use Google Docs and Google Sheets yet because they don't support that, the, the windowing right. feature. Right. Um but I like. Although you could, you could, although you could load it in a Safari desktop view. Well, uh, uh, kind of works. Browser window. I, I will say that the Google it differently Docs, doesn't work. <laughs> the Google Docs stuff is is good in a browser window. It is not perfect. Like trying to select yeah. text and copy and paste mm-hmm. is is not good right now. And I I, yeah. I don't know what Apple can do to try and fix that. But I would like to see them do that um, somehow. It's like basically the system and Google Docs on the web are fighting against each other as to who owns the cursor. Talking about that, I'm struggling to get used to the cursor placement stuff and the copy and paste things. Uh Um, because the, the little tips, the little tool tips, whatever you call them, they still pop up and I wasn't expecting that. So I'm still trying to get my head around a, a lot of the text stuff. Uh, I've been like, looking at Apple's website and trying to get, trying to like understand the gestures. Like I can't do that. I cannot seem to do the one where you can just tap and select, like just drag and select a block of text. I'm struggling with that one. So I'm still trying to get used to it. Uh, but a lot of what's in here is really great. Dark mode is awesome. I think it looks fantastic. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I am looking forward to seeing more of what's going on. So I'm very excited yeah. about it. Yeah, it really is the the typical beta thing where there are apps that you should be a lot better, but they've got to be updated to support it. And unless you're on a beta of something, test flight beta, you're not going to see that stuff. And Google, you know, it's Google will do it six months later. Um, that'll be great when they do it, but they're going to do it six months later because they always do. Um, a couple of apps just launch and then quit, which is fine. Like, <laughs> fair enough. It's a beta. And uh, the Files app is one that is funny because there's so much work in progress on the Files app in terms of adding um, external device support and server support and stuff like that. And it's, uh, I found like from beta to beta features come and go. Again, that's, that's beta life, but I have had it on my iPad for quite a while now and, um, and I'm still using it and it's still fine. I've managed to get by. So that's, that's good. Hashtag Snell Talk question. To open the show, as we always do, uh-huh. you can send in a yes. tweet with the hashtag Snell Talk, and it can be included in a future episode. Uh, a question this time comes from Scott. Scott wants to know, is it acceptable to wear AirPods in the bathroom? <laughs> um, um, okay. This is a funny question. I would say if you're on the phone with somebody, you should not be talking to them from the bathroom. It depends how so close the- you are. But I would say I would mostly agree with you. I, I don't think there's anybody in the world I would would want to talk to when I'm in the bathroom. But I know that that's a thing for some people. Yeah, I guess I guess I, I would I would caution against it. Um, if you're just listening to stuff, I don't think I have a problem with it in terms of acceptability. I will warn you: you are at risk of dropping your AirPods uh, down the drain or in the toilet or wherever a place that it should not go because then you would have to put it back in your ear afterward and that's not a good idea. So I feel I like think, if you're going to use any technology in the bathroom, the AirPods 
are in the level of it's okay because you're touching the other technology, right? Like you're touching your phone or whatever when you're in, I the, if you're in the bathroom. At least the AirPods, they go in the ears and they stay there. So in theory, they're more acceptable well, than other I mean, things. I mean, I bring my phone into the bathroom just to press play and, you know, and put it on a speaker and listen to it in the shower. That's not the same as, um, you know... Uh, yeah, again, hygiene is important. This is what I'm going to say. Hygiene is important. You got to beware dropping your AirPods in a place mm-hmm. that you um, are not going to be able to retrieve them or won't want to retrieve them. And there's some social issues in terms of um, nobody wants to be on a conference call where you're talking to them and then they hear a flush. That's a bad idea. That's not good. So I would say watch out for those. But more broadly, if you're you wander into the bathroom and you've got your AirPods in, um, sure, I find that acceptable. That I use my devices Mike. in the bathroom. I've, I've, yeah. I see no shame in this. I will be right. that person. That's fair. I will be that person. That's fair. Hey, Mike, did you yep. know that it's... Um, it, uh, I was in Boston over the weekend, and mm-hmm. I got to experience a really nice kind of like a warm, like a hot summer, which is fun, because yeah. back here in San Francisco, we don't get that a lot. From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode 254. Today's show is brought to you by Linode, ButcherBox, and hello. My name is Mike Hurley. I am joined by Mr. Jason Snell. Hi, Jason Snell. Hello, Mike Hurley. 